we see uh, Jesus' arrest, the betrayal and his arrest, and Peter's denial, and then Jesus being brought before Pilate. So John chapter 17 contains... Oh, Children for Children's Church. You may slip out the back. Sorry about that. John chapter 17 contains the last words of Jesus before he was arrested. And, uh, and, it, and it's a prayer of Jesus, really. It, 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 it's, it's called by some people the prayer of intercession or intercessory prayer on Jesus' part. But prayer is important. Matter of fact, Alyssa played a psalm that's basically a prayer. Speak, O Lord. It's, a, it's, a, it's us saying to the Lord, speak. And now Jesus, the living word, is making his last comments before his arrest. And that's where we find John 17. It says, These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. You know, Jesus knew every step of the way what was going to take place. And he knew when the time had arrived that he was going to be betrayed by Judas and he was going to be denied by Peter, and the other apostles were going to walk away into the night and abandon him on the night of his arrest. Jesus knew all that was about to unfold, and he knew that he was going to go to the cross. And so as he lifts his eyes to heaven, (coughs) he says, Father, the hour has come. And then he says this, Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. Now in the beginning of this passage, just as we just introduced chapter 17, we see an important principle. Where do we turn in time of trouble? Jesus was about to be arrested. He was, about, he was going to be betrayed. He was going to be denied. He was going to be going to a cross. This was a time of trouble for man. Where did he turn in time of trouble? He turned to the Father. Turn to the Father, folks. And there's a lesson in there for us. Spurgeon states it this way. He sets us an example. In all times of tribulation, let us fall back on our sonship, our adoption. Where do we turn in times of trouble, folks? Where do we go? Hopefully, we turn to the Lord. I hope that's where we go in times of trouble. Because that is the only safe place to go. That is the only place we can go that we are guaranteed that He hears our prayer. That He knows our petition. That He knows what's our trouble. And He's told us to cast our care upon Him. So hopefully we do as Christ did in His about-to-be time of trouble. He turned to the Father. But He said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify thy son. And then he said, and thy son also glorify thee. Do you see the the intimate relationship between the father and son? Remember, all through John, time and time and time again, Jesus has established that there is an intimate relationship between father and son. And it's it's that understanding of that relationship that Jesus was declaring himself to be God that was going to put him on the cross. And again, as we near the end, we see Jesus establishing that relationship again, that he and the Father are one. And that the Father glorifies the Son, 
and the Son glorifies the Father. At this very pointed time in history, at the moment that Jesus was about to be arrested, his concern was one thing and one thing only, that he would glorify the Father and the Father would glorify him. Isn't it interesting? I don't think anywhere in Scripture do you read anything about Jesus going to the cross without there being some mention of his glory. It's interesting, isn't it? They're always connected. Because we would think of the cross as some horrible, terrible, awful death, and it was. But to Jesus, it was the fulfillment of what his whole entire purpose for coming to this earth was. It was to go to that cross for our redemption. And so to Jesus Christ, though the cross was cruel, and though the cross was hard, and though the cross was painful, the cross was glorifying to the Father and the Son. But Jesus sought to glorify the Father. Psalm 86. I love going to the Psalms. There's so many wonderful passages in them. But Psalm 86 and verse 7 says, in the day of my trouble, it's a prayer of David, in the day of my trouble, I, I will call upon thee, for thou wilt answer me. Among the gods, there is none like unto thee, O Lord. Neither are there any works like unto thy works. All nations whom thou hast made shall come and worship before thee, O Lord, and shall glorify Thy name. For thou art great and doest wondrous things. Thou art God alone. Teach me thy way, O Lord. I will walk in thy truth. Unite my heart to fear thy name. I will praise thee, O Lord my God, with all my heart. And will I will glorify thy name forever. The psalmist here lays out for us what we need to be doing in our lives, and that's bringing glory to God in our life. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16, we have a very familiar verse. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and do what? Say, that Ken Biggs, he's a pretty good guy. No, doesn't, I guarantee it doesn't say that. I promise you it doesn't say that. Why do we let our works shine before men? that they may glorify your Father which is in heaven. See, folks, as Jesus Christ sought to glorify the Father, we in our lives, as we live our lives day in and day out, our job is to live our life as a light to this world. And believe me, this world is a dark world today, folks. We need to live our life as a light to this world so that people look at it and glorify God the Father. That's what we need to be doing. So Jesus Christ, as He begins these thoughts, as He prays, number one, He sought to manifest the Father. But number two, <coughs> excuse me, to manifest the power of the Father. Notice what it says. It says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify Thy Son, that Thy Son also may glorify Thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. 
Now, folks, this is, an in, this is a, a, a very important passage of Scripture. Because in this passage of Scripture, we see that God has given the Son power over all flesh. Over it all. Now, we understand that, that man, when man was created, man was given some great authority, some great dominion. We can go back to Genesis, Genesis chapter 1. And uh, starting in verse uh, 26, in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 28, it says, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion, there's that idea, over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him, male and female, by the way, there's your two genders, uh, created he them, and God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. So folks, listen, man was given great power, great dominion. But you notice where it was limited to. It was limited to the animal kingdom. Man was not given dominion over man. That was reserved for one person and one person only, the Lord Jesus Christ as given to him by God the Father. And so he says, as thou hast given him power over all flesh, over all of it, the ability to give eternal life. No one has the ability, folks, to give eternal life but Jesus Christ. No one has the power. No one has the ability. I can't earn it. I can't work hard enough for it. I can't do good enough for it. I can't buy it, as some churches would have you believe. No man has the power to give eternal life, folks. It is only given through the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. His redemption. And so Jesus says, He wants to manifest the Father. He says, as thou hast given him power over all flesh, and he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And in this we get the key to salvation, the eternal life. And that's that they may know him. Notice verse 3. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God. What is life eternal, folks? That we know God. The word know there is uh, gnosko. It, it's, it's the idea to know through personal, intimate experience. It is not just knowing somebody like I know the banker or I know the car salesman because I happen to know their name. That's not what this know is talking about. This is personal, intimate experience with a person. And the idea behind eternal life is we gain eternal life when we come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ because we know Him and we know who He is. The source of eternal life and how it's attained is through a personal knowledge of the Father and the Son. Understanding that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. And note what He says. That God is the only true God. The only True God. See, folks, this is where we run into problems with people that try to preach 
a religion to us of just accept everybody's religion because we're all worshiping the same God. Folks, we're not all worshiping the same God. I'm sorry, but we're not. We are not all worshiping the same God because there is one true God and one Savior, and His name is Jesus Christ. So anybody that tries to get you to buy into this mentality of it's okay, whatever they believe is fine, whatever you believe is fine, whatever they believe is fine, because we're all worshiping the same God, we're not. And that's also why, as I've talked about many, many times, we cannot uh, believe in the idea of the coexist bumper sticker that everybody runs around with on their car. That's just garbage, folks. There is no truth. Those religions can't all coexist because some of them want to kill the others. So there's not going to be a coexistence when you have people that seek to destroy other people. The one true God, Jesus Christ, God the Father. The one true God as opposed to all the false gods that were what worshipped in the lands around the Jews at that time. Folks, they were, they were centered in an area where everybody around them worshipped multiple gods. Remember the Egyptians back in the early parts of the Bible and all the gods that they worshipped? And God took them on, every one of them, didn't he, in the plagues. One God after another, just annihilated by the one true God. Because God showed that he had power over the things that they worshipped. Christ sought to manifest the Father. He sought to manifest the power of the Father. He also sought to manifest the purpose of the Father. Verse 4, Jesus said, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. What was Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ hadn't gone to the cross yet, folks. He hadn't gotten there yet. He knew he was going there. And I think this verse is a verse to show that Jesus Christ was 100% committed to the will of the Father, that there was absolutely no turning back. He knew the work was about to be done. And so he speaks of it as if it had already happened. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. No turning back. Do you know Christ was prepared for this work from the very beginning, folks? Revelation chapter 13 And verse 8 says this. It says, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship Him, whose names are not written in the book of life, the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. See, folks, Jesus Christ's purpose was there at the very beginning. The redemptive plan was there. You can go all the way back in your Bible and you can start in Genesis and you can go to Exodus and you can go to Leviticus and you can go to Numbers and you can go to Deuteronomy and you can take it all the way to Revelation and there's this scarlet thread of redemption that runs through every single book of the Bible. There is not one book of the Bible that somehow doesn't speak to the redemption of Jesus Christ. Every single book somehow speaks to it. Why? Because it was the purpose from the beginning. God created man, and he knew man would need redeeming. 
That's why I love the picture, folks. I love the picture in the Old Testament when God gave the Ten Commandments. And at the same time, he gave the plans for the tabernacle. Why? Because he knew man couldn't keep these. <laughs> he knew man would fail. He knew man would fall. And he knew that man was going to have to have an answer. And so the answer during the Old Testament time was the shedding of blood at the temple from sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. Why? Because it was a picture of what Jesus Christ would ultimately do on the cross when he died for your sins and mine. Jesus was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Well, that was some of Christ's goals in his prayer. But I want us to notice in verse 5, Christ's glory. He says, And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Now, this is an important statement that Jesus makes because all throughout John, Jesus has been establishing his relationship with the Father, and now he speaks of his glory that he had with the Father from when? From before the world was. In other words, God the Father, God the Son existed in eternity before there was anything. There is no starting date for God, folks. He exists. Period. There is no starting point. We can't pick a date and say, God was born on this date. doesn't work that way. God exists. And before time existed for us, before this world was created, Jesus Christ shared that glory with God the Father. And now, as He prays, He's asking God to share that glory again. Now, why is that important? Because God doesn't share His glory with anybody that's not God. We can go back in the book of Isaiah to chapter 42, and this is what makes this passage so important. Isaiah chapter 42 and verse 8. It says, I am the Lord. That is my name, and my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. So that right there, folks, takes care of a lot of what gets worshipped in our world today. That's why we don't bow down to idols, folks. That's why we don't have idols in our church that we worship. Because we are not to worship graven images made by man's hands. We are to worship God. And God doesn't give His glory to another. So when Jesus Christ prays, God, let our glory be shown in me again, what is he saying? He's saying, I'm God. And let the glory out. That's why it's important. Because God doesn't share his glory. Another passage of Scripture, Isaiah 48, 11, just a few pages over. He says, for mine own sake, even for mine own sake, will I do it. For how should my name be polluted? And I will not give my glory unto another. See, folks, one thing we know about God is the Scriptures tell us that God is a jealous God. You know, God desires our worship. Isn't that interesting? God doesn't need our worship, folks. Realize that. God needs nothing. God existed in all of eternity before we ever were even 
on this earth. But God desires a personal relationship with each one of us. Aren't you thankful for that, folks? I mean, I mean, so many people in this world worship a God that they're always trying to please somehow. They're beating themselves. I mean, we got nations in this world, folks, where people beat on themselves trying to appease some God. That is not the God we worship and serve, folks. He just wants a relationship. He wants us to glorify him in our lives. Jesus says, return unto me the glory that I had in all of eternity. You know, glory connected to Jesus Christ, the idea is found all throughout the book of John. In John chapter, in John chapter 1 and verse 14, uh, the, the passage tells us that the disciples beheld His glory. In John uh, chapter 2 and verse 11, it said that Christ's miracles demonstrated His glory. The reward of faith in John 11.40 is the revelation of His glory. Christ spoke often of His glory. John 7.39, John 12.16, John 12.23. Christ spoke of His glory. And then in John 13.31 and 32, we have the Father glorifying the Son. All throughout the book of John, John speaks of God's, Jesus' glory. It was a theme over and over and over again. And now Jesus says, And now, O Father, glorify glorify Thou me with Thine own self, with the glory with which I had before the world was. And then Christ talks of His teachings. What has Jesus been doing during His time on the earth that He has spent with these disciples? He says, I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. See, Jesus Christ had a, an inner circle of guys that he invested time into. He invested effort into. And he says, I have manifested thy name. What does that word manifested mean? In the original language, it means to make clear to make known, to put into open view, or shed light on. He says, I have made known your name. So what's he talking about? God the Father? No, that's not all he's talking about in that word name. Because that word, thy name, is special. It's not just a name, but it's the revelation of their character or reputation. That's what the name means. In other words, Jesus Christ says, I have made clear, I have it opened up like an open book, I have shed light on your character and reputation, God. That's what I've been spending my time doing. It's a beautiful thought, folks. I would venture a guess that that would probably be a thing for us to be doing in our life. <clears throat> Shedding light on the character of God. Beautiful, beautiful thought. On God's character. On his reputation. As to distinguish his character from all others. 
slip back into Exodus chapter 15. Exodus chapter 15 and verse 11. It says, Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like unto thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? Who is like thee, O God? Jesus Christ says, listen, I've, I've opened up your character for these men to see. That's what I've done. The apostles kept God's word, though the Jews rejected him. The Jews rejected the Messiah, folks. The apostles kept his word. Now they failed. They had failings, no doubt. And we know in the next chapter, on the night of his arrest, every one of them is going to walk away. But with the exception of Judas the betrayer, they're all going to come back. And they're going to be a force to be reckoned with in the world. They're going to be the guys that turn the world upside down for Jesus Christ. Eleven men and turn the world upside down. Wow. There's probably 60 of us in here. What if 60 of us went out here and tried to turn the world upside down today? What a difference could we make? And then we see finally in the introductory part of this prayer, we're only going to cover a few verses today. Verse 9 and 10, God's protection is prayed by Jesus. Notice what he says. I pray for them. He's referring back to the disciples because he's been talking about the disciples the whole time here. He says, I pray for them. I pray not for the world. Does that mean Jesus Christ is not interested in the world? No, not at all. Christ shed tears over the world, folks. Christ went to the cross for the world. But at this particular moment in time, his concern as he gets ready to be arrested and goes to the cross is for those men and what was going to become of their lives. He says, I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine, and all are mine, and all mine are thine, and thine are mine. Here we go again. Jesus Christ constantly bringing back the picture that what belongs to the Father belongs to the Son. And one more time, he's going to do it. He says, listen, they're, my, they're thine, they're mine, they're thine, and they're mine. Back and forth. In other words, these men belong to us. And he says, and I am glorified in them. Now that's an interesting statement, folks. Because he's about to be betrayed by one of them. He's about to be denied and cursed his name by one of them. He's about to be abandoned by the rest of them. And yet Jesus Christ says, I am glorified in them. What does that tell us, folks? Well, it tells me, <laughs> as a dirty, rotten sinner, that my life can still bring glory to God. That's what it tells me. Because it tells me that though I fail, there were other guys that failed. And Jesus Christ said in their life, I was glorified, despite their failings. And they turned the world upside down. So what can I learn from Jesus' prayer today? Listen, folks. There's hope for me, <laughs> and there's hope for you. We can bring glory to God the Father and God the Son despite who we are, despite my failings, despite all the times 
I have to go to God and confess my sin. Despite the dumb things that Ken Biggs does in his life, I can bring glory to God the Son with my life. And Jesus prayed for these men, knowing what was coming in the next few moments. If he cared enough about them to pray that prayer, don't you think he cares enough about us? I think he does. It's just the introduction, folks. It's just the beginning of Jesus' prayer. His final words before he goes to be arrested and goes to the cross, goes to the trial, and then goes to the cross. Next week, we'll pick up and cover a little bit more of this prayer. I don't know how far we'll get. We'll see. But these are some great, encouraging words by Jesus Christ. Where do you go in time of trouble? I hope you go to the Father. That's where Christ wants us to go. In his time of trouble, it says he lifted up his eyes to heaven. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed as we come to the end of the message today. <clears throat> I don't know how the Lord's spoken to you. You know, maybe you're here today and you don't know the Lord is your personal Savior. Maybe, maybe you've never trusted in the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. I don't know. But if that's you today, I would encourage you in a moment when the piano begins to play and we give an invitation, if you want to come down front, I'll have somebody take a Bible and they'll show you how you can know for sure today that you're saved. But if you're here today and you're saved, you've accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you accepted the free gift of salvation that he gave us when he went to that cross and shed his blood on that cross, Maybe you're here today and maybe you just need to realize that, hey, in my times of trouble, I need to go to the God. I need to go to God. Try, instead of trying to figure it out my way. You know, folks, when we try to figure it out our way, we often run into problems. <laughs> we really do. Because we're feeble. And our best attempts many times are feeble attempts. But we can go to God. We can turn to Him. Do we give God the glory due his name? Does my life point others to the Savior? I hope it does. Let's stand with our heads bowed and eyes closed as Judy begins to play. We'll wait just for a moment. If you need to do business with God, the altar's open. We wait just a moment. You can sit down at your pew and pray. However, God.